Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to your own personal Beatles. My name is Jack Pelling. And I'm Robin Allender. And we're here for series two, uh, which is very exciting. Mm, it's nice to be back. I feel like we're maybe slightly more prepared for this series. Yeah, I mean, we've uh, we've definitely got more in the bank. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, we've learned a lot, filled in a few gaps in the old Beatles knowledge. When I when I look back to series one, I, ca- I can't I can't quite get my head around the unbelievable hubris, which I realise I can't really pronounce, which is quite hubristic <laughs> in itself. Hubris. Hubris, yeah, hubris why not? Of, uh, yeah, starting a Beatles podcast with, you know, let's not say an Limited. encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of the Beatles, but certainly with a passion for the Beatles. Yeah, we've learned a lot. We've come a long way. Um, yeah. Let's learn more. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good. I think what, the, what listening back to the episodes of the first series and listening to some of the things we've recorded for this series, I, I, you know, I, th- I think it's just... Um, it's been great to go through and realise that, you know, it's basically a podcast about music and about discoveries of music. And because the Beatles are so universal, that's kind of, that's the starting off point. And I think we've had some really good chats. Yeah, it's been fantastic. You know, we got some amazing people lined up. Um, Mm. We won't give them all away, but yeah, certainly some, it it never ceases to amaze just how much gold there is in people's Mm. informative experiences with the Beatles and beyond, really. So uh, yeah, really excited for everyone to Mm. sort of get cracking with this. We're up first with the band Field Music, who Mm. are sort of Sunderland art rock band, David and Peter Brewis. We recorded a fantastic episode with them uh, a couple of months ago now. Uh, this is a cracking one. Mm. Yeah, it's great. Some really good chats. And they're also doing, well, they were also doing, before their new album came out, a podcast, uh, which was kind of t- releasing a song from the album and then going through kind of songs that influenced it. So that's a really good kind of counterpoint to this episode, I think, because they talk about it's all too much in their the Beatles song. And that was kind of what made me uh, message them on Twitter about getting them on the show. Yeah, and they talk about music in such a brilliant way. Uh, they're absolutely fantastic guys. Uh, mm. They're really sort of, you know, the joy really comes across. They've got a real love of the the art form and, and the process of making music. Yeah. To, you know, I've actually, you know, listening to their field music cast, which is what it's called, has actually got me uh, writing music myself again for the first oh, time cool. in quite a few years. Wow. So, you know, it just, yeah, it just reignited the sort of, the spark of passion for the, the process rather than, uh, mm. you know, getting annoyed at myself and uh, beating myself up over things, <laughs> yeah. which is the way I usually write. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really fantastic. So check that out. Their new album, Flat White Moon, came out uh, about a month ago and it's absolutely fantastic. You'll see some uh, snippets of it in this podcast, which the, we've got kind permission from Memphis Industries to show you a bit of, but check that out. Really brilliant album. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, I've got a few things. 
I wanted to clear up before the show. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, we had a really interesting chat. We had a good chat, a lot of chats about Beatles singles and about the Red and Blue albums, which come up a lot. Mm-hmm. So Red and Blue albums, if you've got a bit of spare time, read the Wikipedia page because it's really interesting. <laughs> so they were put together by Alan Klein, yeah. which is why maybe some of the choices are a bit weird. But did, did you know the Spanish edition of the Blue album doesn't have the ballad of John and Yoko on it? Well, I didn't until you texted me that yesterday. Oh, well, but, you, know, um, you could pretend I was telling you for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. Not, no, surely not. Why? Because <laughs> of Gibraltar. Uh, yeah. And um, we also talked about, we were talking about the singles and Rubber Soul. There were no singles released from Rubber Soul mm. um, in the UK or the US, which is really interesting uh, because some of those songs are so well known. Probably. Well, obviously, because it's on Robert's Hole and because the Beatles are well known. <laughs> but, yeah. like, um, but it's part, probably partially because of their overrepresentation on the Red Album, which was something we yeah. talk about, which I, I found that quite interesting. Um, mm. Other singles we were talking about, we talked about. So, Peter and David talked about this kind of Dylan esque way of singing, uh, of writing songs where you mm. kind of have verse, 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 or a verse with a kind of tagline of a chorus on it. Yeah. And we were trying to think of a Beatles song that does that. And I realised after listening to it that a good example is We Can Work It Out, which is obviously yeah. it's verse and then the chorus is kind of the end of the verse. So that that's kind of, obviously there's a big Dylan influence there. But mm. it's funny because that was, there was a really good article in the paper the other day. You know, The Guardian does their How We Made. Yeah, yeah. And they did one about the Bangles' Eternal Flame. <laughs> <laughs> and Billy Steinberg, who wrote the song said eternal flame was retro and that it has no chorus it's structured like an old Beatles song with the t- the title tagged onto the end of the verse am i only dreaming or is this burning an eternal flame so and he mentions we can work it out there as well so i thought that was an interesting comparison over i've never uh, <laughs> yeah. can't say i've ever noticed yeah. before but um i think that was it so we won't keep you much longer um we've had some amazing correspondence while we've been away which has been fantastic and we do read it all we're not going to um you know delve into it now but if you want to get in touch and share your personal beetles with us you can email me at jack at homespunsounds.com or you can go to personalbeetles.com forward slash contact uh but i'll just read one out that was really lovely and uh, i was just um, searching through them and this one jumped out at me i remember getting this a, a few weeks ago so i thought i'd read it to you because i don't think you've read, read this one either but it says dear jack and robin i can't tell you how much i have enjoyed your own personal beetles i listen to it most mornings as i walk to school in the kenyan sunshine i teach history and international school in nairobi the podcast has made me revisit all the albums i grew up with and helped me discover more i love hearing your discussions and you both have taught me a lot including the word tangential <laughs> which is yeah a very apt word for this podcast um two things i wanted to share my own personal beatles is listening to the red album and sergeant pepper round and round as a child whilst on family holidays in normandy where we went every year my mum and dad in the front and myself my brother and sister in the back belting out help 
Uh, in fact, we listen so much that I associate the music, especially the Red Album, with that place. I was thinking about associating the Beatles' music to a specific location and had an idea. The one album I never got around to was the White Album. When I was young, I think I found it too weird. Your podcast inspired me to write that wrong. I've been listening to it on repeat in my car driving around Kenya, and now I love it. I'm moving to Cairo in August, so I thought I'd build an association with the White Album in Kenya. So when I listen to it, I always think of this magical country my kenyan girlfriend who had never listened to the beatles only likes one song you've guessed it obladi obladi <laughs> uh, secondly the beatles music connects me to my mum who i lost suddenly in 2019 by remembering family holidays and listening to their voices i feel closer to her in the process of my listening to the white album i've heard songs like julia for the first time which i found incredibly moving and helped me thanks again for your podcast i found it healing and soothing during these uncertain times warm regards Hugh Bradbury uh, in Nairobi, Kenya. So that's, yeah, what a lovely email. Yeah, um, thank you, Hugh. Very touching. And thanks very much for sharing it. So, mm. yeah, do do send them in if you want to get in touch with us. And we'll, uh, we read them all and we read out as many as we can. One other thing to mention is for this series, uh, we've got a Patreon. So if you want to hear ad-free extended versions of every episode, um, it's usually about sort of an extra 10 or 15 minutes at least, uh, then you can sign up to that and uh, for the minimum amount we could charge you uh, you'll get all of those episodes plus some bonus monthly episodes that yeah. are exclusive to your patreon feed which should be really fun yeah the monthly episodes we have are going to be kind of we're going to have some kind of rambly chats ourselves me and jack we're going to revisit certain albums and films potentially and maybe even try to kind of talk about the songwriting as well in terms of working out some of the songs seeing if yeah. we can find some secrets that way so yeah join us for the monthly podcast yeah and we might uh, have a few old faces from series one pop up uh, Mm. and uh, you know there'll be loads of really fun stuff so do get involved with that if you can Um, in the meantime you can follow us on all the social media accounts at personal Beatles on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of that sort of good stuff Uh, but we won't keep you any longer please sit back relax and listen to (laughs) excuse me i've got (laughs) covid19 this is field music on your own personal beatles excuse me i've got (laughs) covid19 sad but true On this week's Your Own Personal Beatles, we're delighted to welcome David and Peter Brewis from the band Field Music. Field Music emerged during the mid-noughties, but landfill indie they are not. <laughs> Is that okay? Is that fair? That's absolutely fair. I would say we were. I would say we were. <laughs> you were? No, Interesting. not really. Not really. <laughs> Along with their northeastern contemporaries and friends, Maximo Park and the Future Heads, Field music brought a more sophisticated and artful edge to the guitar pop of the time and have continued to develop over the course of eight albums and numerous side projects. For me, I love field music because they're one of those bands like Tortoise, I think, where you can hear that they're huge music lovers and magpie-like, you can pick up influences from the Beatles to Squeeze to Prince to Joni Mitchell, all artists that tend to be respected for their craft and sophistication and, as a field music album title suggests, Measure... Their material is very measured, and I've often thought of Field Music as the least sloppy band of all time. <laughs> so, without, <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to Field Music's own personal Beatles. Thanks it's for having It's a pleasure us. to be here. Great. How was that? Was that fair? Is that fair, do you think, as an intro? I, I mean, I feel that we 
are quite sloppy, much really? sloppier than people realise. Right. And I don't think... So say the tempo maps, Dave. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the things which bands do in order to sound tight, we don't do. So we, we, mm. we, we try and avoid playing the clicks. As really? Ringo, mm, as well. Ringo said, mm. he I'm is the click. click. Oh, sorry, Ringo is the click. Yeah. Um. So and uh, all the kind of like the editing of your drums to make them in time and doing like we try and avoid all right. of that and mm. basically record in, even though we record on computers, for the most part we record in a very traditional way. In mm. part because we are such Beatles Beatles nerds, and right. we learned to record mm. on a four track cassette machine, and wondered mm. through those years why don't our recording sound as good as the Beatles? They were recording on four track. I've seen George <laughs> Martin say so on the Beatles anthology. Yeah. What we what we didn't realize was our microphones were terrible because <laughs> a cassette four track is in no way equal to the top of the line four track two inch uh, inch tape recorders they were using at the time yeah and i had this confusion at the t- i remember with with cassettes yeah thought, you well, just, you just sound really? yeah, yeah. my yamaha mt3x should do exactly yeah, what yeah. what what the 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 custom built um emi tape recorder should be able to do <laughs> yeah. Um, Jeff Emmerich tinkering around you while you're yeah, like a, ho- a whole team of engineers yeah, making in sure they yeah, that they, yeah, that they run exactly <laughs> as they should. And of course, as performers and singers and songwriters, we were thirteen, fourteen, fifteen-year-olds, and hmm. not 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 quite there. Wow, nowhere near there. Do you still record? To, do you? I mean, do you record to tape now? Have you tried to make your studio analog, or is it kind of? No, because we don't have that team of engineers in the background yeah, making no. sure that everything mm. works. And yeah, yeah. even though we've taken on a great deal of the kind of like the the technical aspects of making records, um, mm. you do get to the point where it's just like, I, I don't want to have to know any more of this because I, essentially, we, you know, we want to we want to make music, we want to write songs and yeah, and yeah. record and and I, there's only so much time that I would want to spend like aligning a tape machine or cleaning tape. Yes, of course. We've already yeah. done more more of that than, than than I ever felt kind of comfortable with. So mm. computers are very, very convenient. Yeah. <laughs> um, there must be a reason why everyone uses yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quite very cheap and convenient, yeah. you know, com- yeah. comparatively. Yeah, so you are, you are um, uh, admittedly sloppier than you might think. But I suppose what I'm, I'm saying in my intro then is that there's a kind of a real craft to your songwriting that I think um, is, is very measured and is, shows the kind of thought process behind it. And so for me, I can hear a big Beatles influence in that, uh, oh, yes. as well as lots of lots of other bands. But, I mean, did, does that slightly make more sense then in terms of do, do, you, do you feel the way you approach songwriting as being kind of precise in that kind of way? Is that a bit of a vague question? <laughs> I think I think I think maybe we are conceptually quite precise, mm. um, but that that just means that I think we have a very an, an idea about how we're going to approach something. I don't yeah. necessarily we're very think we're very good at playing in time or playing right. in tune <laughs> or writing the greatest st- structured songs in the world. Or but particularly I think we know, have a, um, knowing what we're doing, even. Right. <laughs> But conceptually, 
And I think when we, I mean, I think we're lucky because I think when me and Dave play out of time or out of tune or anything like that, we tend to do it together. And I think we're, <laughs> maybe maybe we're fairly decent listeners, at least at least to each other. Maybe not to anybody else, but uh, at least at least to each other. Right, you kind of got the mm. brotherly Wilson brothers locking into each other, kind of thing. Maybe not that good, but <laughs> I feel like I might be almost as good a drummer as Dennis Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You, you know, mentioned that that was your sort of formative recording influences, Beatles records, but how far back does it go for you two growing up? Where does your Beatles journey begin? In the house, our mum and dad had Let It Be, and they also had a copy of Sgt. Pepper's that was scratched to hell inside. No, I, I, we, we didn't never really know about it at the time. That, it was hidden. We, the we red, mainly the listened to the, mm. the Red and the, the Blue album. And that was on every week at least, you know, kind of it was, it was just And we on. also had that experience where it's like our, our Uncle John had it on, uh, on cassette. Stuck in the car with him for a long drive and he'd do that thing where you... You change the balance from left to right and you could hear different things. And I was absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah. blown away by that. Yeah. And still am to a degree. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm at this stage now where it's like, actually, oh yes, the mono versions are probably the best of most of these. It, it was really what the guys intended. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but I, I still like listening to the kind of imbalanced stereo versions where you're like, oh the bass in the right speaker i'm just gonna listen to the bass i'm gonna listen to this yeah. guy with diamonds i'm just gonna listen to the bass mm. in the right speaker yeah i mean if that's those are the versions you grow up with you kind of you, you have a certain attachment with them don't you definitely yeah so what what's the age difference between you guys nearly three years right okay but did you still have did you always have pretty similar music tastes then for the most part i mean there's certain things that peter's more interested in than i'm than i or the things that We've gotten into at different times, but I, there's nothing that Peter listens to where I think that is awful. Oh, <laughs> no. I can't believe you like that. I never, I haven't had. I'll, I'll test you on that one, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but the Beatles was always a great unifier, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe the Beatles kind of continued to be a unifier throughout, really, because I think every, you know, I, I think you know, we kind of come back around to the Beatles mm. again and again. Uh, maybe even at different times, you know, where I'll go through a kind of a slightly obsessive stage and, and Dave might, and it might be about different things, but we kind of, yeah. sometimes we I, I, often, I think um, I've, I've, Plum is one of my favourite albums of yours, and I often think the first few tracks of that where it's kind of the songs almost seeg into each other, there's something very kind of day in the life -y maybe about that where it's kind of, you know, there's different sections, different moods, different pieces kind of blending together. Do you think Do you think that's a kind of, was that an influence or was there... There's a, there's a big slice of Abbey Road side too, all across yeah. right. them. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. The idea that yeah. you're going to take smaller bits of songs that mm. aren't going to turn into a full three and a half minute, first chorus, yeah. first chorus, bridge, first chorus, chorus kind of structure. And you say, oh, well, let's find, a, let's find an interesting way of slotting them together. And, yeah, yeah, you know, Plum was absolutely informed by, you know, how how that works on Abbey Road, especially. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's great. And and, and when we when I first sort of uh, wrote to you on Twitter about asking you if you'd be interested in coming on this podcast, uh, one of you said that basically your whole career has been trying to emulate happiness is a warm gun. So is that kind of... <laughs> I think we've both said that a lot of times. Right. <laughs> so, but that's again, that's a song where it's kind of uh, different parts, different kind of a very strangely structured song. And is that? I mean, how do you want to unpack that? Why that song particularly for field music? So, for for a period, me and Peter were doing different bands mm. because we found it so difficult to make decisions together. And frankly, we still do. But we, we found <laughs> we found a way around it. But you know, from the from the years like. 1999 through to two, the end of 2003, we were doing two separate bands, quite often with exactly the same people in. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> but just like, but this is the one where I get to say what goes, and that's the one yeah. where, where you, you decide what's going on. Um, and at some point, you know, there's that realisation or acceptance. Everybody's right. We should just do a band together. But it's okay. <laughs> We can make it like the Beatles, where you know, like, it's or like you know, like the White Album, where it's like, oh, it's Paul's songs, or yeah. it's John's songs, or it's yeah, George's yeah. songs, and they act as each other's backing band. Yeah. And the first song that we started doing, knowing that it was going to be a part of this album, we didn't even have a band name at the time, but that was going to be part of this album was a song called "Shorter, Shorter," which is a very short song. Um certain elements of it like you know the underlying chords are, are fairly simple really the melody's fairly simple but we thought well, but we're gonna we'll sit down together and we'll arrange it together to make the most things happen possible right. the most interesting mm-hmm. there's gonna be no repetition every section is gonna do something different like happiness is a warm gun i was counting the days and i was counting the reasons i was satisfied Everything is fine You should never count Shorter, shorter No time to spare The irony is clear But I can never be sure Shorter, shorter It's easy here You can never be sure That to a degree, set the template for how we were going to approach making the first album. I mean, we did it very inexpertly, right. but Happiness is a Warm Gun was the starting point. And we've both said, like, a bunch of times, one of the things about the Beatles is they did they made lots of songs where you could treat that song as the start of a whole genre if you wanted to. Yeah. And it yeah. just so happens that oh, no, one, no one's made a genre out of Happiness is a Warm Gun yet. So we're mm. going to start a genre of music which stems off from that that song. Yeah. <laughs> Is that daft, Peter? No, I think that's I think that's I think that's fair really. I think um because I think the other thing we were thinking of, let's just do normal instruments. Let's not make it sonically adventurous. Mm. Let's have the interest in the in the structure and mm. um and I think that was a kind of a theme for the first record. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people saw experimental pop music as being something that was kind of, and you know, and that's fine and it can be as well, but I think we were just reacting against this idea of the experiment being in the sonic 
right. rather than um and we wanted it to be in the structure yeah that's a that's a brilliant way of putting it yeah and um and has that kind of been something that's still part of uh, your process because i think as your music's developed i think with an album like common time and with the stuff that you've been releasing from your new album it seems like it's more often can be based around maybe a loop or over the same kind of thing and then kind of developing i think the first time on common time is is kind of is it all based around one thing and then more instruments come in and it gets more layered and textured so is that are you still kind of even when you're kind of basing a song on maybe one idea you still have that happiness as a warm gun idea of how can we make these sections different and stuff it it comes back every now and again yeah. doesn't it mm. i mean there, there came a point where like me maybe more than peter it, I, I like i i will allow myself to repeat things yeah the second <laughs> verse it can be basically the same as the first verse and that's okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um although every you know every now and again like i think we'll both have that sense of like now this is this is too much repetition and right. you want to or it's not right for the material you know I yeah think it's mm. but you make those decisions pretty early on it's like i'm going to make a song out over this riff that's just going to go on constantly because i like it so much mm. i could hear it every single bar in this song and not get bored of it mm. as long as there's there are other things that are going to kind of come in and out around it that have some kind of counterpoint or have some kind of new texture or um but i mean that you know the beatles did that as well yeah mm-hmm. yeah well, yeah and we jack and i have been really enjoying your podcast the field music cast and where you're kind of you're releasing a song from the album and you're talking about the songs that kind of influence that and so for the first one orion from the street you mentioned uh it's all too much uh, yeah from the yellow submarine soundtrack and that's definitely an example of a song which is based around kind of drone yeah, but with a very, very interesting melody and very kind of beautiful melody, really. Yeah, it's an amazing melody, sort of a kind of. It's very, very, very major, but also very, very strange. Um, mm. Yeah, it jumps around a lot, and as a mm. and as a record, there's just tons and tons of things that go on and seem to come in and out almost at random but i think that yeah. was very much where they were at the time it's like okay yeah. we've done sergeant peppers and we've done all of this like ornate arrangement but now we're quite possibly smoking a lot of weed <laughs> and <laughs> random is where it's at and you know yeah, yeah. You, you end up with all of the stuff that ends up on magical mystery tour and yeah, it's like yeah. hey random means george is just going to play the violin and that's fine, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. random man. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Ryan feels that that random. Yeah. So you haven't kind of quite brought in those chaotic elements, but you're still kind of bringing um, it. Or, or, or have you? Well, we have to be George Martin as well as being. Yeah. So I think we have to we have to bring in the chaos and then also then rein it in. Yeah, as mm. well a bit. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I, would, I, would, I would like us to kind of be able to be chaotic for a little bit longer and yeah. then rein it in almost at the last minute. And I think that's something I would try to do with Orion from the street. Right. Whereby I had a, a drone um, that, you know, was through a delay pedal that I just really just improvised. And then, mm. um, and then almost like just through sort of these samples of other things onto onto the track that i thought might or might not work 
But I just made sure that they all worked. Mm. Even when they weren't going to work, you know, it's like, okay, well, how do you make this work? How can you make it work? And it's, yeah. and, uh, and it was good fun, you know, it was good fun. Yeah. For that song as well, it kind of has that sort of more kind of ballad form where it's kind of verse, 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 and uh... yeah, then that's the kind of the maybe the more sort of Dylan or yeah. um, Tomorrow Never Knows sort of influence yeah. where you have a kind of refrain, even if it's just a melodic refrain rather than a lyric, even refrain. if it's just a melodic yeah. refrain or you're yeah, repeating yeah. something, and it's and it's fine, you know. And I thought we, you know, well, that was it was Dave's idea, you know, we should release this as a a single, yeah. Whatever that is, mm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but it doesn't have any. It doesn't have a chorus, and it doesn't have the elements that you meant to have. Yeah. And then obviously, what we always think is, well, the Beatles did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you can do. You know, what's a good Beatles single without a chorus? Oh, maybe like, they didn't is... do a single without. Yeah, this is, no, I just this wasn't <laughs> this wasn't me putting you on uh, the spot. I'm just like trying to think of a, a good one. I don't know. Um, there must be one. Must be one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have lots of songs where the hook is not necessarily the chorus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, like Penny Lane, the, the yeah. hook is isn't the Penny Lane. Da, da, da. Yeah, the, yeah. The hook is the, the first, is the first line yeah. of the verse. I mean, something yeah, yeah. Yeah. does something have a chorus, or is the verse the chorus, or no? It's got the sort of bridges, the chorus, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that that um, the verse, the verse, verse of the Dylan thing. Is your approach to songwriting often that like premeditated in that you were like, is that the original germ of the idea? I want to write something with loads of verses like mm. stuck inside a Memphis um, mobile with the Memphis blues again. With the thesaurus, the, the, the thesaurus blues again, sorry. <laughs> the, the thesaurus blues, yeah, I can't see. Thesaurus blues, that, that is a song idea that I am going to now take. And <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, I don't know, may, maybe some, maybe. You know, I don't think I write, we necessarily write the lyrics thinking about necessarily what the structure's going to be because mm. I think me and Dave maybe do a lot the same thing. We kind of have notebooks full of words. Mm. And Google then, Docs for me now, mate. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, 21st century boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know, but I think, I, I think because we're not the sort of people who just think that just things just happen man and they just mm. kind of fall from the sky and they just i just had a dream and it came fully formed yeah. <laughs> mm. you know we're, we're we're fans of of music and we're fans of the structure of music and yeah yeah and i, I think the beatles were like that as well that like yeah. you know i think they said you know like i'm not saying that we're like the beatles but you know this is a beatles podcast isn't it so let's talk about yeah. them as well um let's write a song like like this Let's, yeah, write, yeah, let's yeah. write a Roy Orbison song. Let's yeah, write exactly. a, let's write a Dylan. That. Let's write a Dylan song. Was it Let It Be was going to be a kind of gospel, or was it Ray Charles? He he mentioned. I yeah, think. yeah. So you know, I think that I think I mean that's why I love your podcast because you're talking about 
you know, specific songs that influence the songwriting. But I do also think, as you said, that's something the Beatles would have done themselves. Yeah, let's put a Dylan hat on. Yeah, that's literally, of, you know. in John Lennon's yeah. case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they would have found that really fun. Yeah. You know, and I think it probably kept them going. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's have fun. Let's let's try and do a, a Shirelle song. You know, a song like this. Yeah, yeah mm. let's do a Shirelle's. Let's do a... I let's... love that new... The, the stuff that's coming out in Stacks. We're going to do Stacks, you know, so yeah. we do Drive mm. My Car. And, you know, like, what what they did was actually, you're not... You are bringing that really deliberate influence in... But also you bring in your entire life and everything you've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everything yeah. about your personality in. So it can't be actually stacks. No. And it becomes <laughs> Drive My Car. Yeah. And it yeah, can't yeah. actually be the Shirelle. So it turns out to be like, it won't be long. Yeah. Mm. And Dylan did it again with the Beatles. That was the nice sort of circular thing of uh, Blonde on and Blondes and that sort of period as well, isn't it? It's like... Is it positively Fourth Street that is like his trying his version of Norwegian Wood? It's for, it's a fourth time fourth time oh, around. fourth time around yeah fourth time around yeah so mm. yeah it's just, oh, I suppose it's just nice to hear someone so candidly saying like yeah this is what we were trying to achieve rather than they were playing with each other and it was all happening yeah. in such a short period of time. I think one of the things which maybe like has a lessened to a huge degree is um, that the to and fro in the charts now you don't get like answer songs anymore but these no. people were playing out there in like their entire careers yeah album after album after album in the space of two or three years yeah mm. the other great one as well is that with dylan is uh karina karina isn't it and and mm. your bird can sing which is that's a lovely i never thought about that one actually mm. yeah you've got a bird that can sing and yeah you got a bird. Yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah that's true isn't it everything was coming out so uh, quickly, I mean, there's such a frenzy of releases in, in the 60s. Everything seemed to speed up. That it was kind of there were kind of answer records and responses. Slightly off the path of the Beatles, although there is it. There is feel a time. free. One do one. Feel yeah. free one. Um, <laughs> uh, I've been really getting into um, an album called Donny Hathaway Live, mm. um, and I think it was released in 1972. Really great soul singer and keyboard player played behind Aretha Franklin and, and mm. you know, lots of other people on Atlantic. But on that record, he, he plays a brilliant version of Jealous Guy. Yes, mm. yeah. And he plays What's Going On and mm. he plays uh, You've Got a Friend. Mm. Now, nowadays, if you're going to release a live album with covers on, they probably wouldn't be contemporary covers. Mm. This album was released in 1972 or maybe, maybe from released in 1971. And all of the covers he played were from, you know, like released in yeah. the year yeah. preceding that. You know, he was playing yeah. contemporary songs. And I think that's yeah. something which doesn't happen in the same way now. Is uh, that a financial thing, do you think, as well? I think it's just due to the nature of what live music is. Yeah. Mm. I, I you know, think there's also the fact that we've had another sort of 50 years of music since then. Mm. And there's more to choose from. So, for instance, if you're going to do a cover now, it's like you've got. 70 years of pop music to choose from now rather than, you know, 10. I think, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of those sort of soul 
singers. I mean, definitely in the early 70s, I can think of quite a lot of examples of, is that Clarence Carter has got like Let It Be on his, uh, on patches and stuff like that. And yeah, you could straight away. was doing loads of them, yeah. You would think people would be quite sick of Let It Be by 1971. Yeah. Wake up to the sound of music. Mother Mary comes to me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Have you, have you done Beatles covers yourself or is that you, you oh, started yes. in covers band yeah we used to do oh, drive Actually, my car we, we did drive my first. car really rocked up though and it, <laughs> <laughs> we rocked everything up dave i think that was the idea of the band wasn't it really <laughs> that, that that was our like unique selling point it's like hey we're gonna play songs you already know slightly <laughs> rocked up Slightly though, and we did day in the life. Day in the life rocked up. You did day in the <laughs> life. Wow. That's Actually, ambitious. had to get yeah. it, had to get an electroacoustic guitar just to play that song. We even did the. Even it sounded did the, terrible. Yeah, it <laughs> I just have this memory of playing help in the school band, and uh, being completely confused about whether it was in swing or straight time. I think I played it completely straight, and the drummer played it in swing. Um, I think that's right. I think that's the. Uh, Oh, we accidentally mm. did it brilliantly then. Yeah, yeah so I, th- I think it's the it's that classic Ringo, Ringo shuffle. You know, it's just yeah, yeah. so quick. Yeah, yeah. It may as well be straight. I mean, this is actually something that about the Beatles we talk about all the time. Is like how much of their music is swung, and mm. again, it's something which like it's disappeared to a degree. You see, you find a little bit of swing in in some R and B. But it, you don't hear much of it in, you don't hear a great deal of it, like, in the pop charts, really. Yeah. But, like, no. almost every song on Sgt. Pepper's, you know, the, this thing which we still see as a kind of modernist masterpiece, yeah. is... It has an element of swing to it. That's really interesting, though. Yeah. I think the only song that I can think of that really doesn't have some kind of odd time thing going on is maybe um, the reprise at the end, the reprise yeah. at the end. kind of straight up. Yeah. yeah. That's why Eclipsone sounds so unusual and sort of breakbeaty because it is yeah. Ringo yeah. playing as straight as Ringo plays. Yeah. But um, 
as both you're both drummers um if anyone who's seen you will know <laughs> we both we both own the same drum kit it's not the same thing do you both hold ringo in this similarly high regard from a sort of technical level as a drummer uh, yeah i mean they... he's got all the personality really he's just got a lot mm. of personality yeah he's like, he's like the archety- archetype parts drummer yeah he's just not showing you all of his skills on the drums although you know like boy the guy can you know do that mm. shuffle really really fast and it's not yeah that's not easy to do yeah. um you wonder how much of it is paul telling him yeah you need to play this kind of part um and you know the certain songs like um every little thing where it's like Ringo's not quite comfortable with this and Paul has kind of he's told him what to do and it it doesn't mm. quite click. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But the interplay of Paul John and George saying it needs to be this kind of thing and Ringo internalizing that. Mm. Yeah. And you know playing brilliantly. I think it kind of defines almost like you know what we think of as a, you know what a band should be. Yeah. yeah. That sort of, yeah, the arrangement always comes first, but the amount of restraint. I mean, I'm not a drummer, but if I ever have a drum kit anywhere near me, the chances of me doing something that's going to serve the song instead of just, like, having fun <laughs> yeah. and showing off is absolutely yeah. zilch. But I, suppose... but I think, yeah, I think there's there's, there's, even, there's there's so much more to Ringo than just, obviously, than serving the song, you know. I mean, I, um, you know, I think about, I think about Ringo a lot. <laughs> that's good because he doesn't get enough airtime on this podcast we must For what? well let's let's do it let's the rest yeah. of the show that's fine <laughs> and t- uh, i mean what one particular thing which ringo does and you probably know this already that nobody else does in in the world you know or it certainly didn't because it was probably the wrong thing to do um he was a left-handed drummer playing mm. right-handed mm. So he started all of his hands, all of his drum fills with his left hand. Mm. Hence why he didn't go doodle 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 doodle. He just couldn't do it. Yeah. So that's why you get those kind of drum fills which sound almost backward. You get that sort of... So, you know, when I found that out, I was like, wow. And I started practicing drum fills starting with my left hand. Yeah. Just so I could, like, you know, emulate that kind of... And it does give it a different kind of swing, and you end up not playing the drums in the tie in the order you're meant to play them in. Yeah. yeah. But why we got to this is because you see, I'm left-handed, and I'm playing a right-handed kit. If there's any drummers in here, see, they usually go, you know, they they go round the drum this way. Well, I can't do that. See, I can't go. So I have to get this hand down. So. That's why everyone thought, wow, he's a genius, but all he's doing is trying to play backwards. <laughs> you know, so he goes, uh... So it comes around this way, and all my fills, which, you know... I have, you know, they don't come in fast. There's always a break, because I have to get this hand ready. <laughs> so it's like... You know what I'm saying? So it's like one of those mad accidents. You can't learn it. Uh, I was left-handed. My grandmother didn't like that. She made me go right-handed. And so I have a right-handed kit, but actually I'm a 
left-handed player. If any drummers want to like dive into how that feels, try and play the rhythm for Get Back, then watch them doing it on the rooftop, and you realise yeah. that Ringo is doing it with the hands the other way around. Yeah. Um, and and it sounds different it to sounds different. how you would play it. Um, and that's the other thing. Other thing about Ringo, he always sounds. I mean, it changed obviously when he started dampening the kit down a lot. But he just his drums always sounded great and mm. almost like different every song. Sometimes, you know, the toms were tuned up really high. Yeah. Sometimes they were really low. Um. Sometimes there was you know you could hear the dampening on ver- on various various drums and I, and but generally the, the drums just sound always sound great. Given how mm. given how quick they were making a lot of those records, they must have put a lot of thought into it. Because I rewatched Yellow Submarine the other day, I just noticed that the drumming on All You Need Is Love is um, really good as well. I mean, because he does yeah. like really really good, um, you know, just the classic proper drum roll which i can't mm. do you know where it's kind of bouncing off the skin and like he doesn't do that very often but he can he does it so well you know <laughs> and it's weird to have that in your arsenal but like if i could do that really well the kind of almost like tortoisey style drum like jazz drumming i'd just be yeah. doing it all the time you know <laughs> but, yeah what uh, else does he yeah. do it on there are yeah there is another one um, i can't it, remember what it is there's the sort of there's quite a marchy track on that record as well isn't it is it your mother should know is that got a role in it yeah, it might do. Oh, there is another one. But George Martin always said that he couldn't roll to save his life, but I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's necessarily true. No, no. It is, it is interesting with Ringo and a lot of drummers of that era that they... We, we've been talking about this recently, like the difference between British and American drummers of that era. And my my theory is, is that because we didn't have the kind of... Um, the Chitlin circuit where... Mm the gigging dance bands were actually playing R&B or, you know, proto-soul. The the drummers in the, the 60s English bands basically came straight out of like a big band version of what a dance yeah. band was. Yes. Yeah, straight yeah. from that into rock and roll and then yeah. and then on. So the the, the style of drumming is... Pink Floyd route, wasn't it? That kind of it came from that Well, I think people like thing. Mitch Mitchell are going to be... They're more sort of mm. Ronnie Varel, John, you know, Gene Creeper, Buddy Rich drummers. St- yeah, straight out yeah. of the big... Yeah. Straight out of the big bands into playing, mm. into playing rock. Um, yeah, it's the sort of the band of gypsies swap over um, when the you get the Buddy Miles coming in for Mitch Mitchell and it's just like that British version thing. American sound. It's completely mm. different. Totally different, yeah, yeah. totally different. Yeah. I love how there was a jazz magazine at the time, jazz magazine, at the time called Downbeat, which Philip Larkin <laughs> subscribed to, which is great, because he was a jazz drummer apparently. Anyway. Really? Oh, really? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> We've got our stock question that we ask everyone is, uh, do you have a controversial Beatles opinion? I, I'm not sure whether this is controversial, but I, I think that Let It Be, the song, is underrated. And I think it's genuinely, you know, a really soulful bit of communication. And I think that While My Guitar Gently Weeps is still overrated, whereas for me, the best things about that are... Paul's piano playing and Paul's back and forth. 
What about Eric? I mean, Eric's, Eric's fine, but I, I mean, I'd, <laughs> but I'd, I'd be all right without the guitar. You'd rather the Prince doing the solo. <laughs> that was that was over the top. I mean, that's the whole point, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rain in. But yeah. that's, I think that's. A, I, I mean, that's let, let it be. I think. I think that's a great point because let it be is one of those songs where it's it's so well known. Like, I mean, I think at school I thought it was like a hymn. Yeah, it can kind of catch you unawares, and I think when I listen to you know let it be naked for the first time i think it was then usually oh my god this song is amazing what, what, a, what, a, what a beautiful song yeah but, yeah. I, but i think the beatles also have like a load of songs where through familiarity you you, you underrate their mm. brilliance so so for instance i've been singing lucy in the sky with diamonds to get my kids to sleep mm. you know for the last two years yeah and i I'm, it might even be my favorite beatles song wow, wow. and i think it is absolutely hmm. complete in terms of musical construction yeah. and lyrics and atmosphere it's as well, so well known yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean yeah. it just it does it all mm. but it's so well known i think people like think oh yeah that's one of the fa- one of the famous ones yeah, but yeah. you know i'm gonna listen to getting better mm. which is also great <laughs> well here's a here's a maybe it's not a controversial opinion but it's a it's a fact and i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> but i think I think the Red Album mm. is massively flawed mm. in terms of its song selection. Yeah, that's interesting. And it is weighted so heavily to Rubber Soul that it means that there there isn't a single song from Revolver on that al- on that album that wasn't a single. Right. Yet from from Rubber Soul, they're basically missed three songs out. And it and it I mean it's been good because it really make it made me when I heard Revolver I thought it was just and it was just a it was like a new band to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It only has Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine. Or... It only has yeah. Yellow, yeah, yeah, um, Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine, which w- was a single. I think it was a double A side or a yeah. and a B side. Yeah. And you tended to know that one before, <laughs> regardless of anyway, whether you'd heard Revolver. Yeah, you, you knew them yeah. both anyway because one was on. Yeah. Well, they were they were both on um, Yellow Submarine, and one mm. was a children's classic. Whereas from yeah. Rubber Soul, you have got Drive My Car. Um, Norwegian, Norwegian Wood, Wood. Um, in, in my, my life. life, girl, nowhere man. girl, nowhere man, nowhere man, Michelle and Michelle, and yeah. yeah, were any were any of them singles? I d- I don't know, but it but it's like re- who who's, who's who decided this? Mm. Yeah, there are some odd. Tr- we we've said this before about the Blue Album having Old Brown Shoe on it, which is quite oh, weird. I love Old Brown Shoe though. Yeah, it's good, but it's like w- it's better than good. For- <laughs> here's another here's another controversial opinion. Yeah. That is my favourite sort of of the late sixties. Uh, well, maybe it's like the Abbey Road era, right? Beatles songs, I think. Yeah. Wow. You, I think you, it is. You, you said know, a very I, controversial one for me on the podcast, which was you prefer it's all too much to Blue Jay Way. Blue Jay Way is. I, no, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say okay. Dave, Dave said <laughs> that. That, <laughs> that was me. Yeah, Although I agree with Dave. Really? As well. <laughs> uh, no, I think all too much is amazing. But I do like Blue Jay Way. It's 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 yeah. it's it's experimental mu- yeah. music oh, and it's it's great tune. I love it. We probably I'm sure we'll get someone tweeting us to tell us the reason why the red and the blue were compiled in such a way. Because there is always some weird reason 
to do yeah. with the way that they released in stereo or re-released on eight mm. track or something. Yeah. yeah. Or it might have been an American sort of the, the way that the albums, because mm. there's like... Yeah, because Revolver was a quite poorly dealt with in America, wasn't it? Yeah, was that the one that they kept... Burning? Well, they released it as the Butcher, with the Butcher cover, with like That's half right, the yeah. songs from that on it, and then it never came out, and it's like proper form so that could be another reason why tell you what while we're on the red red album and this is controversial i really don't like can't buy me love Mm. oh dude (laughs) get out of town (laughs) crazy business of all the early ones i I really i I mean i love so many of the early ones i think john's kind of very absent from that song i feel yeah like vocally he's not on it i don't think yeah oh he Mm. just he seems very very absent for me, for me, that is one where, like, Paul's energy gives it everything it needs, and I've it's give, um, gives it all it has. Perhaps. Yeah, well, that's fine. That's enough. <laughs> Paul McCartney's energy, I would basically swap for almost anything. Yeah, I would, I would <laughs> have his even energy. now, even now, and you could run a small country on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't even tried the you know bagel with. Marmite and hummus thing, but maybe that's the secret. <laughs> have you have you have you seen him um, making mashed potato? I have. I don't need his mashed potato energy. Uh, oh, there's a great there's a great bit of him making mashed mashed potato oh, with raw onion. <laughs> so what, what you do, Split Paul? Raw right? This wow. is disgusting. You know how to peel a potato. No, you don't use a big knife like that. You use a potato peeler. I use a silly little knife like this. So let's say you're going to peel your spuds, and you're going to. Uh, Feel a whole panful. He looks as though he's he's having a good time. My kids really love "Can't Buy Me Love," so I had to work. I had to work out how to play it, and it, it was one of those where it's like, oh, just like learning how to play this has given me even greater appreciation for for, for what it is. So I'm I'm, right. a, I'm a fan. Although actually, the song from "Hard Day's Night" that we played back when we were doing you know playing around the pubs mm. as as teens was uh, "You Can't Do That." Mm. Mm. Which again, we never really got the groove for, nah. and it's got to be slow. In later years, I've kind of come to appreciate just how groovy it is because they don't, you know, the Beatles don't have a lot of like dancey songs. Mm. Really, mm. they're ones that when he plays now as well, they really stick out as being not not something I would never stick on. But can't buy me love, all my loving, like those uh, in a live setting, they just sort of. Even with his new, like, super tight band, they just completely tear down the, tear the, tear down mm. the roof, tear the roof off. <laughs> <laughs> it's very late. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was field music. What a brilliant episode! Yeah, it was great. And you know what? Drum rolls that Ringo did. Lovely jazzy drum rolls. Mr. Kite, how did we think of How did we miss that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Mr. Kite, I was right about but it was the alternative version on the anthology of Your Mother Should Know, uh, which is almost a bolero with, uh, with loads of little drum rolls. And also, you know, I said, um, I don't, I'm not such a fan of Can't Buy Me Love. Mm. I realised the other day why that was, which was uh, Jeff Lloyd tweeted a, um, a video that was on ITV to kind of advertise that anthology at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, it's loads of 
quite weird celebrities. Incredible talking. selection of 1990s <laughs> talking, celebrities. Yeah, talking about the Beatles, one of whom is Bruce Forsyth, who sings Can't Buy Me Love in this kind of quite show-tune way while clicking yeah, his fingers. Yeah, sort of swingy Sinatra thing. Yeah, and I realised whenever I hear Can't Buy Me Love, I can just see Brucey's finger clicks. <laughs> uh, it's deeply embedded in my mind. and I think There's that's... also a, a fantastic bit where Jeremy Beadle says that one of his favourite songs is called I Am A Walrus. <laughs> <laughs> Which is superb. Um, So thank you very much for listening. And and, Rolf uh, Harris. And Rolf Harris is in it. And Donald Trump. Is he? I didn't get to that bit. (laughs) Yeah, he sings a bit of Hey Jude. So crumbs. the, The good and the bad. So we'll be back next week with uh, Shappy Corsandi, which uh, is a re- another really brilliant episode, yeah, one of my favourite ones we've ever done, so mm. that's a good one. If you didn't uh, listen to the extended version of that, then you missed out on the great story uh, concerning Prince and his uh, love of field music, mm. which is uh, really sort of interesting. Uh, and, yeah, please continue to get in touch. Bye. Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.